Hello and welcome to this special episode of iLoop. You will notice that there is no guest here today. Uh, in fact, uh, the guest really is my friend Sanath Rao, who uh, acted as a host and conducted this conversation with me and uh, got me to share my experience of going to Vipassana, which is a silent meditation retreat. In this episode, you're going to hear me share my experience and the insights I took away from it. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for joining me. So actually, why, why don't we start, Ro, by you just maybe giving your impressions of the of the visit itself. And I'm sure I'll have some questions, but some of it may get answered by just listening to what you have to say initially. So you want to yeah. maybe just spend some time talking about what, why you went there, what that experience was and what you came back with. And then, you know, I'm sure I'll have questions on the basis of that. Sure, I think that's a good place to start. So I think for me, why I went there, I, I, I was aware of Vipassana, you know, I'd heard about it. And in fact, uh, I'd visited a Vipassana monastery in Nigatpuri many years back. You know, it was right next door to, a, to the school that, you know, our charity was supporting Sanat. And um, I was curious about it. And the whenever people had talked about it, they'd always sort of referred to the whole silent bit that you couldn't speak or you couldn't communicate. And that seemed in their minds to be the scariest part of the Vipassana. Like, how can you not, you know, talk for 10 days? So that's that's kind of all I'd been aware of. And then um, I had a I had a couple of my podcast guests who talked about their experience of Vipassana and how transformative it had been for them. Um, and the second of those guests in particular really influenced me and in some ways inspired me by her experience and and I think I was also going through that you know we all go through that period in our lives when we feel that you know we're not finding the answers we're looking for outside yeah, yeah. so um we've got to go inside and you know find a way to do that and this seemed like a really good way for me to do that so that was the reason I thought okay let's do it and then I also found out from her that there were Vipassana centers in the UK that never occurred to me that they were like global they're, they're like in 25 countries now that's right yeah yeah so um and i sort of researched it and i found that there was one in suffolk because only about two hours from here and then i looked at my calendar and there was this perfect like window of 10 days yeah, when yeah. i had nothing going on uh, and things at home seemed to be you know reasonably in a stable position so i applied i was initially put on a waiting list and by that time, I'd done some research and I'd actually, you know, gone on their website, you know, and I was discussing it with my family and they were like, wow, you, mom, wow, you're going to do this, you know, it seems very challenging. And I was also starting to think, what have I signed up for? You know, this, this looks pretty serious stuff. And part of me started to hope that I, that I, you know, I wouldn't get a place, that it would be deferred sometime when the weather's nicer or yeah. you know, some other time. And I... I thought, shall I cancel my place? Because, you know, COVID numbers were going up. And there were lots of reasons to not do it. But I thought, no, no, I won't do that. Because if I'm not meant to do it, then, you know, I'll, I won't get a place. And so I'll yeah. know the universe doesn't want me to do it. But as luck would have it, I got the place. And so for me, that was a big sign that this is the time for you to go and do it. So um, 
I also went on YouTube and I sort of watched a few videos to, you know, see what people's experiences were and, and how I could prepare. And that was really useful for me. So, yeah. So, um, so I got there. Shall I carry on? Because otherwise yeah. we can. So I, so, yeah. So when you said that you watched YouTube videos and you went there prepared, just help me understand what that preparation was. So what, what information did you get as a result of this research that you did, which possibly made you better prepared in terms of what to expect and in fact even a validation of your yeah. decision to go there so i think it was it was both of those things um in that you know there was one chap who had a <laughs> he was obviously an engineer because he he put out a video um about the seat the seating postures okay yeah. Because I think what people don't realize, because they're so busy thinking about the old silent bit, they yeah. forget that actually a lot of it is just sitting, yeah. and sitting still. And, you know, for us, you know, most of us don't sit on the floor cross-legged for extended periods of time, yeah. right? Yeah. And the meditation hall is, even though it's comfortable, it's not like you're sitting on a hard floor. They give you, you know, pillows and cushions and blankets and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Even then, you're sitting on the floor for a minimum of 10 hours a day, you know, with breaks in between. And you can't underestimate how hard that is. So yeah. anyway, this guy created a video um, where he'd observed, and actually really you're not supposed to have your eyes open. You know, they, they tell you repeatedly, you need to have your eyes closed because it's yeah. distracting. But this guy confessed that he always meditates with his eyes open. So he had his eyes open and he was observing different people and how they were sitting. And so he did this whole video on the different seating postures. And he kind of warned that actually a lot of people leave because they can't, they, they just can't sit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And he said, don't leave. That is not a good reason to leave. You know, you can always yeah. ask for a chair or you can ask, you know. So anyway, so that was useful. And he suggested before you go practice being able to sit cross-legged yeah, yeah. for an hour at least, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So I did that and I started getting up, you know, in the morning a little bit earlier and doing some meditation in my own way. So that was on preparation. The other was really I wanted to know what people's experiences were. Yeah. And so I watched maybe about two or three different people and they all came with, you know, really positive experiences and, you know, their, their sort of takeaways from it and how, you know, some of the individual like experiences, which in a way validated why I was doing it. But yeah. the flip side of that was that it created in my mind certain expectations, yeah. which in hindsight, maybe is not such a good thing because, you know, something like this is so experiential, yeah. you yeah. know, uh, and, and your experience will be different to mine. So I think by listening to these people, maybe at the back of my mind, I began to think I would have something similar. similar. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I think that's one cautionary tale, but I'm still glad I did it because, you know, at least I went in with more, more awareness of what was yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'll stop there if you want, if you want to ask no, me. No, carry on. Carry on. Okay. <laughs> so I think, you know, the first thing to remember is that Vipassana actually is a very, very old Buddhist practice, you know, and, and um, what Gautam Buddha, you know, we're told that um, after many, many, many years of searching, seeking for answers, he finally found enlightenment by realizing that actually the the reason we react to things, you know, and a lot of, you know, our sort of, I suppose, misery and cravings and aversions are caused by um, us sort of, you know, having preconceived notions about certain things and yeah. us reacting to those things. So if we can find a way to just 
not react and become equanimous. It's one of the yeah. big, you know, big philosophies of Vipassana, the equanimity that you have to create within yourself. And, and to do that for the external world, you have to begin with your internal world. Yeah. So Vipassana teaches you to see things as they are rather than how you want them to be or how you perceive them to be based on your previous experiences. So that's what it is. So the, there are five key precepts of the um, retreat, you know, when you go there, and I'll tell you in a minute exactly the sequence of my experience, but the, these are important precepts. Yeah. So one is, one is that you are not allowed to kill anything. Yeah. So obviously you're not allowed to kill each other, but also the, the insects and the yeah. any living creatures, you're not allowed to harm them or kill them. Secondly, no stealing, no, um, no lying, <laughs> and no um, sexual activity, um, and also no intoxicants. So no, you know, no yeah. drinking alcohol or drugs or anything like that. And of course, this concept of noble silence. Yeah, yeah. The noble silence extends to, you know, no communication, even in writing, you're not allowed to take any books or reading matter or, you know, you're not allowed to journal, nothing. And even with your core meditators, you are advised to not even make eye contact. So you kind of like almost create this solitary world for yourself while you're there. And that's what noble silence is all about. Uh, however, it doesn't mean that the whole the whole ten days you don't speak yeah. to anyone. You know, there there's a course manager, and if you have any problems, you can go and approach her. Or you know, there's a there's an hour each day when the teach the assistant teacher opens up. You know, um, a time sort of for you to go and have a chat. So there are opportunities to go and speak and you know. Uh, ask for advice. Yeah. But other than that, you know, you can't. So I'll tell you my experience. So I. We were supposed to get there between 2 and 5 p.m. on the first day, which was the day before you actually start. And I got there about half an hour after we were, you know, I was just running late and then I got caught in traffic. So everyone else was kind of almost already there and settled in. And then I got my uh, room and then I realized I was sharing with three other women. So the men and women are segregated. Yeah. And I think that's just to really... It's, it's not in any way. Some people think, well, that's, that's a bit archaic, you know. Yeah. But I think there's, there's a practical reason for that because it just, it's just less distraction. It's, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. the whole, these five pre, you know, presets, it's much easier yeah. when you yeah. don't have that additional yeah. distraction. So I, I completely agree with it. So um, I was sharing with three other women. And at this point, we weren't yet, you know, in the noble silence phase. So we were still getting to know each other. Yeah. So I got to know them, know them briefly, really nice ladies very diverse group of us and then we we were uh we were fed a nice evening meal and we were told you know what was going to happen and then as, as from 7 p.m that evening the noble silence began so for the next nine days you observe this noble silence and on day 10 then they lifted and you can chat yeah so on the first morning 4 a.m there's this beautiful sounding gong that goes off. I mean, it's actually such a lovely sound. In fact, I was so tempted to come back and find that sound for my <laughs> phone so I could have my alarm. Is that a bell or something? It's like a bell. It's like a yeah. gong, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, it's a really quiet rural place, you know? Yeah. So there's not, you know, traffic or anything like that. So you hear that. And for me, I'm not really that keen on getting up as soon as my alarm goes off normally I snooze <laughs> it at least five times but yeah. this I was out of bed straight away you know got yeah. myself ready by 4 30 you have to be in the meditation hall and then you have two hours of you know 
just meditating on your own on your own as in there's no guidance given to you yeah, but, yeah. but you have other people also meditate and then 6 30 you go and um you know they have two shifts for breakfast and i was in the first shift you go and have a light breakfast which is the same thing usually this you know it's porridge with lots of fruit or you can have cereal yeah and you have that and then you come back to your room and then you know get yourself ready for the 8 a.m start so then 8 to 11 yeah again you can meditate but the eight to nine bit is where you do it as a group and there's yeah. you know you get told what to do and you have the teacher now an important thing to remember is that i think there are different kinds of vipassana retreats around the world but the one that is probably the most uh, prevalent is the one that was started by sn goenka yeah, yeah. Uh, so goenka is um of indian origin yeah. but he was born and brought up in burma yeah and that's where he learned this. And, and, you know, actually, I think over time, what he realized is the original Vipassana got diluted because of people yeah. trying to make it more relevant. And so there's lots of variations of it. But the one he learned was the one that was originally taught by Buddha. So yeah. Like yeah. The pure form. Yeah. And you feel this, you know, because like a lot of his teachings seem very archaic, you know, and you, you kind of feel like shouldn't you make it relevant but then that was the whole point of yeah, him yeah. saying people made it relevant and diluted it yeah so he's trying to he tried to keep it pure he's, he's no longer alive but all the teachings all the discourses are in his voice yeah 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 oh, and in, the, in Goenka's voice isn't it? yeah in Goenka's oh. voice it's like he's there his spirit is there and the assistant teachers are basically just there to guide you should you you know to see if if you're yeah progressing well if you have any questions so they don't really speak very much at all you know they're kind of yeah you had a question so, yeah so in in the actual sessions you know six 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 thirty to eight and then eight thirty to eleven or whatever when you say you did meditation so what exact what exactly did you all do you just sat with your eyes closed and tried to focus your thinking what is actually meditation? What actually happens during those periods? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question because believe it or not, there's different kinds of meditation. I mean, who knew? Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people worry that um, that's a lot of time to be with my thoughts. You know, how am I going to manage? And people yeah. are scared of being, you know, with their own thoughts, right? Yeah. Most of us try and get away from them. So I think for those people, I would say that there is, there is a path. And yeah. so... From day one, uh, day one, you know, they they get you to do something called anapana, which is basically just focus on your breathing. Hmm. And he deliberately says, don't try and use any imagery, you know, or use a word. Like some people kind of have like a fo yeah. you know, transcendental meditation is where you yeah. focus on a certain mantra or a word. Yeah. And he says, don't want you to do that. Just want you to become an observer of your breath. And, you know, breathe through your nose and just observe, like, don't even try and you're regulated. Don't, don't be critical, like, oh, I'm breathing through one nostril. Yeah. Just observe. So I love, you know, the philosophy of choiceless observation. Um, because so much of our observation is kind of driven by what we choose to see or what we yeah, want to yeah. see, right? Even in the external world, let alone inside, that that often we don't see things because we didn't choose to see them, right? Yeah. So this is this is the first in introduction to what choiceless observation is. So you sit there and you know, you're kind of like observing your breath. And I have to be honest that I started to get bored with this. Like, like 
what's to observe? You know, is my breath is coming and going, is coming and going. So I asked the teacher, you know, during that one hour that you have a chance to go and speak to her for five minutes. Yeah. I said, look, I'm finding this really hard because my mind is going off on a tangent. She said, yeah. Yeah, that happens, you know, just gently bring your mind back, you know, don't get upset, don't, don't feel dejected, just gently bring your mind back and say, no, 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 our job here today is to observe the breath. Just, just bring it back, yeah. just bring it yeah. back. So that's what I learned to do. And on day two, I realized that it's one thing to be an observer. You can be very detached and you can be very objective and you can observe, but it does get boring after a while when there's nothing new to observe. So I decided, why not experience it? Yeah. Instead of being an objective, choiceless observer, why not experience it? And suddenly something changed, shifted for me. And I, I went and told her this. She says, yeah, that's very good. That's exactly what we're trying to do. And I'm like, you could have said. <laughs> so there's an element of this. They want you to discover stuff. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And now with hindsight, I realize why they don't tell you everything because they don't want to spoon feed you and yeah, they yeah. want you to discover stuff for yourself. So, yeah. so I realized that actually, um, and, and this is maybe jumping the gun a little bit, you know, we, we often talk about being very detached and the importance of being detached. Yeah. And I think that there's a difference between being detached and being non-attached. Oh, wow. What's yeah? the difference? And the difference is that you can be a detached observer. So I could be observing something happening and I kind of watch it and think, well, it's not really mine. It's not, it's nothing to do with me. It's what happens when you have the bystander effect. You know, when something's happening, people just silently watch. Yeah, yeah. It's not my problem. I'm not going to get involved. That's detachment. I think non-attachment, in my opinion, okay, I'm not a philosopher. <laughs> and as going Kajib said, 10 days of Vipassana for the first time, is just like kindergarten of Vipassana. So yeah. I'm not an expert. But from my own life experience is that I can experience something and I can fully participate in it and enjoy it. Yeah. But I stop myself from craving it or, or thinking, I just don't ever want to do this again. And therefore, I'm not going to repeat ever yeah. getting into that experience. So I, I participate in it. I experience it. But I come away and I say, okay, that happened, but it's impermanent. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to happen again. I'm not going to be sad. Or if I'm sad, okay, I'm going to tell myself, well, you know, it was a nice experience, but don't expect it to come back again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To me, that's non-attachment. That's like, you know, being in the moment, but not expecting it to, not feeling like you control it and you can actually replicate it or you can avoid it. Yeah. That to me was the difference. So anyway, so back to this, the meditation. So, uh, so I started to experience breathing. And that for me was very interesting because um, I found that my thoughts kind of like stayed away for a little bit longer, not, not, not for the whole time, but I got much better at that. And I started to see some very interesting visions, okay? And it wasn't like a vision as in like, you know, seeing things happening, but it was like when my eyes closed, suddenly it was like there was a screen in front of me, like when you go to a cinema and there might be the screen, like it's, yeah. it's not... It wasn't a static screen. It felt like it was a 3D thing and it was alive, but nothing was happening. It was just, it was alive. Yeah. Were, things were happening in that screen, but it was not changing. So I'm like, oh, that's so interesting. And I opened my eyes and then I saw the meditation hall. And I thought when I close it, it'll probably disappear. But it didn't, it was still there. And that was so exciting for me. So I went and told the teacher I saw this. She said, oh, that's very interesting. That shows that your mind is clearing. Yeah, yeah. She said, but... 
don't get too just don't get too attached to that because that's just a signpost yeah you know so you don't want to say oh the signpost is so beautiful i'm just going to stay here because it's just telling you that you're on the right path but you need to keep going don't get attached to that so that was very interesting then on day three um he asked you to now observe the sensations in your nose as a result of your breath okay yeah so that again is like god we're going to do this for a whole day like you know 10 hours of just observing sensations you know um then day four he says now you i want you to observe the sensations small tiny part between your nostrils and your lips you know and just feel the air coming and you know sensations could be like tickling or you know heat or coolness or whatever you know and all this is with your eyes closed right all this with the eyes closed because he he says, you know, Goenkaji says that if your eyes are open, you're distracted. Yeah, yeah. So keep your eyes closed and just, you know, let your mind just focus on just this and yeah. don't distract yourself with any thoughts or words, yeah. which is why, you know, they're very clear from the beginning that don't mix. Like some people come with, you know, having done other kinds of meditation yeah, yeah. and they try and mix, you know, they try and mix and match. And he says, don't do that because sometimes it can have some un unforeseen and slightly dangerous effects. Yeah. Um, so he says, you know, it's like trying to, you know, you, you have one horse that you really like riding and somebody says to you, here's another horse, would you like to try? You're not going to try and ride them both simultaneously. Yeah. You know? So you have to get off that horse and focus purely on this one. Yeah. yeah so should I carry on? Because yeah, 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 I, yeah. I could talk for England. Um, so anyway, so day four, you know, you're focusing on this, just this area. And you realize actually your mind is able to, it's almost like it's scanning that area, just that tiny area. It's quite, it's quite a cool feeling. Then on day five is the exciting bit because now he teaches you how to scan inside your body. Like yeah. you take your awareness to the crown of your head and just watch for any sensations. And suddenly I could feel like prickling, like in my scalp. I could, I could feel... You know, I could feel my hair follicles like moving, like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then he said, okay, now try and, you know, move slightly. So basically you learn to scan your whole head and then he shows you how to kind of go to the back of your head and then you slowly do the, the whole of your body. And so you learn to kind of just basically just sweep your whole body in a scan and then come back up and then sweep and scan and yeah. sweep. And that's basically what you have to do. And then on Basically on day five, the challenge or day four, the challenge begins that he wants you to do that and be completely still for an hour during those group sessions. So three times a day, between yeah. eight and nine, um, between uh, one and two, and then between um, is it one and two or two, two and three, I think, 2.30 and 3.30 or something. And then once again, late in the evening, sort of between six and seven. Yeah. You, those are the times that the whole group comes there at other times you can meditate in your own room if you want and during those times you're going to stay completely still even if you feel uncomfortable even if there's pain even if you've got an itch just stay completely still okay yeah. and it doesn't tell you why it doesn't tell you why you have to do that it's so hard because this is an interesting thing Sarah, that i have sat for a whole hour meditating my own way and, you know, my legs have gone a bit numb, but, you know, I was able to stay still for a whole hour. Yeah, yeah. But the minute your awareness goes in, it's almost like the analogy I would make is that imagine you have, uh, 
imagine you're a boss and you have a set of workers and you've never bothered to ask them for any feedback, you know, good or bad. And some of them are happy, some of them are not so happy. And, you know, because nobody listens, nobody cares. And they're not allowed to speak to one another either. You know, they're just sitting there with this seething resentment. And then suddenly one day you become this really kind, you know, non-judgmental, choiceless observer of a boss. And you say to them, you know, come, tell me how you're feeling today. And they're all like, yeah, me, 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 me. This, and that's what my body was doing. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. suddenly, like, I felt pain and discomfort in my limbs. Thankfully, I didn't have any pain anywhere else. In my, you know, tailbone. And they were like screaming. Yeah, yeah. Comfort and pain. And the more the awareness was there, the more there was pain. I, I couldn't understand why we were being told to endure this pain. Because everything I've learned is, you know, your body tells you it's in pain for a reason. You have to yeah, listen to yeah. your body, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so I asked the teacher, I said, I don't understand. I haven't been explained why I have to endure this pain when everything is telling me, move your leg, you know, even yeah. if for a short time, just give it a little bit of relief. And she said, you know, it will all become clear, you know, but, but try and try, you know, if, if you have to move, you can move, but try not to move. Yeah. So I'm thinking, I still don't understand why, you know, so so I tried, but I was, I failed. So I failed miserably. Day five was really, really bad. You know, I was in such agony and I moved yeah. so many times and I'm like, you're not telling me why this is important. I can't buy into that. So that was my bad, you know? Yeah. At the beginning, they do say, look, you have to trust, you have to surrender. Yeah. And they do exactly as you're told, others you're not going to get the benefit. So day six and seven were equally, sorry, this, you had a question. The, this, this feeling and the sensation of pain and so on that you felt, did you eventually find out whether it was specific to you or were others also going through something similar? We were all suffering. In different ways, obviously. In different ways. And what, yeah. was, what was, to me, what was interesting is that, you know, there were people there who were yoga teachers. I mean, I don't know about the men, but yeah. very fit women, you know, yeah. who did yoga, some were dancers, some were gymnasts. Even they were suffering. So I actually felt not so bad suffering, you know, and some of them had even asked for like backrest and some couldn't handle it and they wanted chairs. At least I didn't go for backrest or chair. I still, you know, soldiered on sitting on my thing. Um, so it was, it was actually very uncomfortable for a lot of people. And this is why part of me was getting annoyed that, you know, people are suffering here. Why do we not... I want to know why it is that we need to suffer. What is yeah, the reason yeah. suffering? So on day eight, finally, we found out, okay? On day eight, we found out that, that actually what we're doing is we're observing these sensations because it is in these sensations that we have stored up our accumulated emotional responses to things, okay? So it's like... And now it starts to make sense because I know about these, you know, how emotions get stored in our body. You know, we've talked about this in the Find Your Flow program yeah. and how, you know, we're not aware of it until it's too late sometimes. And so it's the same with any experience, like good or bad, that the body remembers it all yeah. and stores yeah. it up. And so these sensations are those kind of stored up things coming out because you're now aware. And if you just remember to say anicca which is like you know everything is impermanent whatever this is will pass you know when yeah. it's a nice sensation don't get attached to it just say anicca because this is going to go it's not going to come back 
and the similarly the bad sensations. And the more you do that, the more your body begins to then not have those sensations. Yeah. So the point was that if you could endure that one hour, it gets easier and easier. You don't feel those sensations anymore. Yeah. So on day eight, finally, I'm like, oh, now I get it. And now that I understood it, I was more able to do it. I still couldn't do the whole, you know, I probably changed my posture once, but I was able to do it much better than I was before. And I yeah. started to feel like, okay, now I get what's happening and now I understand. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that was kind of it. I mean, it's, it's an endurance. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I recollect uh, my friend Sunil, who'd gone for this earlier this year. I think he had said that in the cohort that he had gone for, I think he had said approximately 25% of the people dropped out. Now, uh, he didn't give me as detailed uh, perspective as what you've just done. And I just wonder, I, I think it was 25%. It was, not, it, was, it was not one or two people. It was a fairly significant number. Where did he go out of interest? Which... Was it here in the UK or in India? Yeah, yeah, UK, in the UK. Okay. And I just wonder, I mean, while he didn't specifically, I just wonder whether it's during this day four, day five, where your body starts protesting in different ways. Maybe a lot of people, because he did say the same thing that you said, which is that the first couple of days, sitting with your folded, you know, your, with your legs folded and so on, which we don't normally obviously do in our regular day. I think a lot of people found that to be very difficult. Yeah. So I think, you know, we were... In our cohort, we were actually really, it's a really good cohort because I, amongst the women, I'm only aware of one woman who dropped out on the second day. And then another woman sadly dropped out on the eighth day. I think by then she just, just before he told us why we were doing this. So yeah. it's quite ironic. I, I think that she probably wasn't really feeling it. And it can happen, you know, it's, yeah. um, it's not easy. And I think you need to be very clear why you're going and you need to just go in and say however hard it is i'm gonna finish it yeah. the reason i was asking where he went is because i'm told in some places they're very strict they don't let you move like at least here they were a little bit more like you know look ideally we want you to be still but if you're yeah. in that much pain or discomfort of course you can move you know it's fine but try not to so they were a little bit more understanding so i think it depends on yeah. what yeah. the uh, assistant teachers were like so at day eight, nine, and then on day 10, um, it kind of opens it up and you can, you know, you can finally talk yeah. to people. And I have to say, I actually soaked up the silence. You know, I, I loved it. And I can see exactly why it's so necessary. Because in a normal course, or, you know, um, sort of, you know, offsite experience, you know, you ask questions, you you talk to each other, you find out what other people thought, and that subtly changes how you feel about something. You know, it's normal, yeah, right? Yeah. And they don't want you to do that. So what they don't want you to do, they want you to they want you to compare yourself and compete with only yourself. Yeah. Right. And this is a good way to do that because otherwise, you know, imagine on day two if I said, "Oh, I had this vision," and then the other people like. I didn't have a vision. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. What am I doing wrong? Or maybe, maybe this is not for me or whatever. So um, each person's experiences are going to be unique to them. And I think you just have to allow it to happen in the natural course of, you know, however it's going to be. Um, the other thing I, I wanted to tell you is this no killing thing. And they had yeah. these very 
sweet like plastic cups, uh, which, which they had done with permanent marker, they'd written insect catcher. And they'd given like little plastic laminated placards in each room and, you know, public spaces. So if you saw an insect or a spider and you didn't want it there, this was there for you to gently catch it and release it outside, okay? And what that did is that the energy of the insects was so different. They were all, they felt so safe. And I know this sounds really weird, but honestly, like there were these daddy long legs and little spiders and they had no fear of us humans because I, I think they just knew that they were safe. But there were lots of little spiders and things in the rooms, you know, and we just left them. We, yeah. we didn't bother with them because, you know, they were not bothering us. Um, little things that looked like mosquitoes, but they were not at all like your normal mosquitoes buzzing around and, you know, uh, anxiously trying to... Everything just felt so zen. Yeah. <laughs> insects. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, and of course, the silence also was, was just so lovely. You know, it was a beautiful, quiet place. And I just thought it's like when you go to a place where people are just happy and, you know, co coexisting in harmony, you know, where your doors don't have to be locked. So we never, we never locked our doors in our rooms, you know? Yeah. Beautiful, just beautiful. And the fact that you couldn't actually access your social media or anything. Yeah, yeah. In a way, it was like, um, I know there's a bit of a mind bender, but I found the freedom from freedom, very therapeutic. Mm. And what I mean by that is that when in my daily life, I'm free to decide what my schedule is, I'm free to yeah. decide what I watch, you know, what, but in that, because there's so much choice and because I'm not in my, in my nine to five yeah. job yeah. anymore, it creates a certain amount of anxiety because like I'm relying on me to create yeah. my schedule every single day. And, and here I was, uh, I had to surrender to this insane schedule yeah. of meditating for 10 or 12 hours every day. And actually, I loved it. I loved that I didn't have to worry about what was going on in the world, you know, what was going on with COVID or, you know, of course, I knew that if something went wrong, horribly wrong, I would get a call in emergencies. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just great. Yeah, so, um, so, so those were kind of my things. And I think the... The, the concept of choiceless observation, which of course, from a meditative point of view was really about going within and observing different sensations inside your body. Yeah. Which normally we don't take the time to observe, you know? Yeah. We're too busy distracting ourselves, you know, whether it's from pain or, you know, from thoughts that aren't pleasant. And it made me realize that actually we're all addicts except we're addicted to different things, you know? Yeah. Someone may be addicted to work. Someone may be addicted to social media. Someone may be addicted to just creating mindless tasks yeah. so that they don't have to think about stuff. And then, of course, there's the, the more well-known addictions. Yeah. And we're all just trying to get away from the most important thing that is going on inside us. Yeah. And so this 10-day experience simply gave me the tools to actually connect with myself um, and to become aware of what's actually going on inside me. So uh, having gone there with certain expectations, obviously, and now having, it's now what, about two, two three weeks since you've come back? Um, I think it's exactly two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. Okay. 
So would you say that the expectations were largely met or did you discover something else that you weren't prepared for? I mean, when you look back with the benefit of hindsight, what would your observations be now? So I think, and this is ironic actually, because Goenkaji is talking so much about, you know, not going into things with expectations, not craving for things. And yet I think he creates this expectation that we will come away from those 10 days peaceful and tranquil you know he kind of uses it in his stories about an advertisement of how you know people would go past and they would see all these people coming out of the past now looking really peaceful and tranquil and they want to do it because they were like we want what they've got now it's possible that those people were actually forced <laughs> to sit yeah, still yeah. and actually go through the vipassana experience as it's intended um but that's hard to do. And, you know, I, and I can think at the end of it, you will be relieved. Like, oh my God, that was so hard. You know, because there are people who do a marathon and think I'm yeah, never yeah. going to get to the end. Then we finally finish it, the sense of accomplishment and achievement and peace even that you did it. So I think there's an element of that. But when you come back into the real world, um, it's not necessarily going to last. You know, it's, you have the tools now. Yeah. And they make it very, very clear that you have to keep practicing. Yeah. And they would say, do it ideally three times a day, like, you know, an hour, uh, three times a day. It's too difficult for most people. Yeah. So they'd say maybe try at least two times a day, you know, maybe morning yeah. and night before you go to bed and do the hour. And then there's something lovely that happens on the last day, which is called Metta, uh, which is about, you know, um, after you've done the Vipassana, you, you know, kind of sit in a more relaxed position and then you send out peace and harmony and, and, you know, love to everyone. Like, you know, just, just radiate goodwill and, and yeah. love to everyone. So I think in terms of expectations, maybe I hoped that at the end of 10 days, I would, yeah, this was my expectation. I was hoping that I would pinpoint in my body exactly where certain emotions were causing me the most sadness or pain that I would deal with it and learn to deal with it but there's no such magic bullet you know yeah yeah um there's a tool and then you know over time you will discover what where where those sensations are and you know you will deal with it so I think there's a tiny bit of disappointment about that I think the other thing that maybe slightly irked me and I don't want to necessarily be disrespectful but I felt even for the English speaking stuff, there was a lot of chanting mm. and um, it was not particularly melodious or musical. In places, it, it felt a little bit self-indulgent and lazy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, going Kaji. Uh, yeah. And it irked me. Like, you know, is this necessary because we don't understand it? Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it kind of because, oh, the other thing was there were no clocks anywhere mm. apart from in the... Um, dining area because yeah. I needed to know when to get up and move on for the next shift and I wasn't wearing a watch and of course you can't carry your phone yeah so during the meditation I had no idea how long <laughs> elapsed yeah. and then the the way we would know is because going Gaji's uh, chanting would begin but it was not it was not a standard chant each time it was different so you had no idea sometimes you could be just five minutes sometimes you could go on for 20 minutes yeah 
and it killed me. Like my legs were like killing me. And I'm like, I need to know when this is going to end. And I have no way of knowing because there's no clocks or watches. So that <laughs> that's, so I found it easier to do the Vipassana when I got home. Yeah. Because I could open a BDI and see, look at the clock, see how much longer I had. Yeah. yeah. So there's just, you know, a side, side comment about it. Yeah, you had a so, question. Yeah. No, I was just going to ask. So I think, I think you mentioned some areas where there was a discovery and you know you 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 experienced something which was different from what you would normally do in your work and then you had areas of disappointment like you just explained in the last 5 minutes so in balance given that you spent 10 days there with no other distraction and so on in balance how was it i mean do you feel you've come away with something fairly substantive or do you think yeah it was a good experience but it's now gone and let me let me sort of move on i think i came back with some tools that will stay with me for the rest of my life is it okay and i think this whole concept of impermanence you know and i think on a, some level we know that right we know that things are not permanent but we have this illusion of control hmm. you know and and i think to surrender and i think that that whole word surrender to me is such an important one because unfortunately it comes with some very negative connotations because very yeah. military connotations you know about surrender but actually surrender is about just trusting that actually there's so much other that we know nothing about and by holding on to just what we know and you know exercising control on that basis it's so foolish yeah because there's this entire universe and you know the vast unconscious within us yeah and so i think for me the realization of how much you know when my mind was clearing how fascinating those little glimpses that i was getting like you know in one of my visions i saw a wall it was actually i saw things that were actually out there that i'd obviously you know in my peripheral vision had noticed but never actually paid attention to and they came up in my in my meditation yeah and then i realized oh my god that's the house there that i just saw with the trees around it and that this is the, the the two trees with the leaves you know and and i had not noticed it until i saw it in my meditation and then i saw it and i thought wow um so i think those were realizations of how powerful it is when you train your mind to not be distracted by thoughts because these thoughts are just thoughts you know there are two all of our thoughts are going to be different but there are two realms in which our thoughts rest one is in the past and one is in the future yeah and it means that most of the time we're not actually in the present moment yeah and if we could be in the present moment at all times we would be at peace so it was a very very beautiful realization that the things that he's teaching us to do inside us we could equally do it with our external world um and when you observe things without any preconceptions or judgment they show themselves as they really yeah. are yeah yeah um so yes yeah, so and and i think the other thing that i learned you know is that just because you become a vipassana meditator and you're peaceful doesn't mean you become passive yeah yeah i think this is one of the things that people might think oh i'm i'm so zen like so peaceful you know basically i'm not going to do anything now you know i'm just going to be in my own little world no that's not what he means and he talks about how gautam buddha you know till the day he 
took his samadhi. He was out there. He was bringing this to people. He was teaching them. He wanted them to learn. He wanted to share. He yeah. was not passive, you know? So I think, um, yeah, so there's a, there, was, there were so many things that I came yeah. away with. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I think we discussed this right at the start, and I don't recollect whether it was before you started the recording or after you started the recording, though, which was that, you know, to a lot of people, the belief is that the difficulty is going to be in uh, just not doing anything and being with yourself, right? Or for some people, it may be the difficulty of not having access to social media because it's become such a big part of our regular lives. Uh, to others, it's just the schedule, you know, the, the kind of schedule that you maintain, like waking up at 4.30 and whatever else you've talked about. And then there is the physical discomfort of adjusting to, you know, what you said, and you said that for a lot of people it costs. Where do you think, I mean, from your own experience, where do you think the biggest challenge really came for, from for you? Was it the physical side? Was it the mental side? Was it just, uh, and what was the difficult part? I think for me, Perhaps the difficult part was actually this sitting still, mm. but also the, and this is something people maybe should be aware of, that, that in some places, um, I know in places like in India, you can actually have a room to yourself. Mm. Uh, and, you know, you can, therefore you can meditate in your own space and, you know, you don't have other people to worry about. Um, where I was, you know, there were four of us. And we, you know, they were they were lovely. Um, my my roommates were absolutely lovely. So I was very lucky. You know, we different nationalities, different national, all, all from here, but you know, yeah, different yeah. origins. Um, so I think the physical bit, and I think for me also the uh, the chanting, because I'm, and this is not made, meant to sound like you know I'm such a musical snob, but if somebody's going to chant or do musical, I want it to be spiritually uplifting i wanted yeah, to yeah. make my experience better yeah and i felt it didn't always do that but that yeah. could have just been me yeah. you know maybe other people really enjoy it in fact there are people who come back i mean there was one yeah. lady uh she she kind of looked like a female version of eckhart tolle she yeah. was there for her 10th 10 wow. days like wow <laughs> um so people obviously you know find it very beneficial and come back and and they want you to come back and they want you to become you know volunteer and server uh, because you know uh, they, they don't hire people to do yeah, any work yeah. it's all kind of you know volunteers coming back so i think that was for me the sitting down and the, the not understanding why we had to endure that pain yeah i think was the hardest bit yeah so if someone were to ask you is it is this something recommended would you would you endorse would you endorse it or would you say go for it provided abc i mean in the sense that it, it can be so individual to individual i think that um it very much depends on your situation in your life and why you want to do this so you know most people will will have come there because they are going through some kind of existential crisis or you know uh, maybe they've they've burnt out at work or they're going through a breakup or something there's some yeah, emotional yeah. imperative why they are there most people don't turn up just because it's yeah, a holiday because yeah. it's not a holiday i just want to tell you yeah. and some people might think oh it's free and <clears throat> because you don't pay anything up front yeah and even at the end you know you're invited to make a donation there's no yeah. 
nobody twists your arm or anything like that. Um, but you might think, oh, it's, it's 10 days away from my routine and it's just going to be a break. No, you're going to have to work really hard because if you're not, if you don't show up to meditation, they come and check on yeah. you, make sure you're okay. So, um, so I think go if you feel, you know, something inside you will tell you if it's right for you or not. Yeah. And, and go there knowing it's going to be hard. Yeah. And go there being willing to experience it to the final day you know, um, because you won't get the benefits if you leave. Soon. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think you will feel like you've come away with something that you didn't have before. Yeah. So in a day, uh, I mean, you, 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 you described what the early part of the day was, where you wake up at 4.30 and then you meditate till 6, then you have a breakfast break, and then from 8 to 11, I think you said. So in a, in a day, how many hours is totally spent in meditation? So officially 10 hours. But can, can, can you just break, can you just yeah, break down so, from so morning? 4.30 to 6.30 is mm. kind of, um, you know, it, you can go um, into the meditation hall or you can do it in your room. I always went to the meditation hall because I thought, if I do it in my room, I might fall asleep. Yeah. And 6.30 to um, 7 was my cohort's breakfast time. And then from seven to eight, you have an hour. And generally I would sort of go and, you know, take a shower and just yeah. maybe go for a walk or something. Then eight o'clock you go back and you, um, then from eight to 11, you know, including an hour of doing it with everyone else, um, that you, I would spend in the meditation hall. Then 11 o'clock would be lunch. So you go and have, and everything was vegetarian. Yeah, yeah. But they were so amazing because they, you know, they catered for people who had allergies and, you know, food is always so delicious and so wholesome um so you have a nice lunch and then you from one I think from 12 to one there was an hour where that you could go and chat to the assistant teacher so you had to put your name down yeah uh, on a on a sort of board um and then you had you know you had a bit of time to yourself you could you could walk or you could just have a rest or whatever um I would generally just go and you know either go for a walk or maybe meditate or go and see the assistant teacher then from one until five again you know some of that was uh, there was one hour where you actually sat with the group and you got you know guided by going kaji yeah. and stuff like that but the rest you could either meditate in your own space or you could do it in the hall and generally i would just do it in the hall and then five you have um tea with fruit hmm. so you know it wasn't like a proper dinner yeah. Um, just, you know, go and have some refreshments and then back in the meditation hall at six and they will all wrap up by nine uh, in which you had an hour and a half of discourse, but you also had, you know, meditation sessions. And then 9.30 is supposed to be lights out. Hmm. So that was the day. So there's not a lot of time for much yeah. other stuff, you know? Yeah. So uh, if you had to do any laundry or anything, you had to do it in those times when you're not supposed to be meditating or not eating. Yeah. So I didn't find... There was no time to be bored. Yeah. And it's a big commitment. And you know, they will, they will, they will acknowledge and they will uh, you know, they will appreciate the fact that people have given up 10 days, you know, because most people come, you know, got families and they've maybe taken time off work. So it's not like we're monks, you know, who can yeah. kind of go and do that. So I think absolutely. In fact, you don't even need to go and do this for Pasana to bring some of these principles into your everyday living. So, for example, you know, um, um, one of my favorite books is The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. 
And so I was listening to it before I went on my Vipassana and then I came back and I re-listened to it and some of, some of the things that he used to say before now made so much more sense to me. So, you know, the whole idea of being present, that's yeah. exactly what Vipassana is about, you know? Yeah. Be present to your own, what's happening inside you, but be present to what's happening outside you. And we don't need to go and do a 10-day Vipassana to become a little bit more present than yeah. we already are. So, um, I think when you, if and when the time is right for you, you will know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think this last point you made saying you don't necessarily need to go there. I mean, but on the other hand, for people, for many people, maybe they need, you need a catalyst. And this 10 days of staying in this kind of an environment might just be the catalyst to help make the change. You know, otherwise, you probably can't make the change in the midst of many other distractions that are there in your normal day-to-day -day life. I think that's exactly it. And I think, you know, it gives you a taste of what's possible. Yeah. Sometimes that's what you need, you know, because otherwise it's it's just in the realm of, well, it worked for you. No idea if it's going to work for me. So you experience yeah. it and then hopefully you come away and think, yeah, that was worth it. And I'm going to try and do this myself. I think also Did the idea shouldn't be that you come away feeling all superior. Yeah. yeah, yeah like, you yeah. know, I've been to a verse now. I'm so peaceful now and I <laughs> can't be bothered with all you all you sort of people craving. Because that's, you know, that's not the message of the That's right, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think sometimes maybe people become like that. Yeah. And, you, you know, shouldn't become preachy just because you've had an experience that other people haven't. It doesn't mean to say because you've done Vipassana and suddenly you give up, you know, having a job and you become yeah. monk-like and you only... No, you know, everyone has a place in this world. And, and but it's, it's the intention you know, why you do certain things that's sometimes more important than yeah. the thing that you actually do. So he's, he talks about all these things. So it's actually, it's a really interesting um, way yeah. of looking at life uh, without telling you to become a monk. So, yeah. Yeah. so I, might, I, might, I might go and watch some YouTube videos, like you said, what you did before you went there. Uh, it, it never struck me. I never did. But yeah, YouTube has everything. So it's interesting that the YouTube videos I watched, none of them actually told in such detail about the fact that you just sit very still. I mean, they kind of allude to it, but they don't. They didn't give me the full picture, mm. and I don't know whether that's deliberate because they don't want to put you off. Mm. But in some ways, I feel that isn't it better to go prepared? Yeah, yeah. Than yeah. to go there and then feel like. Oh, now if I leave, I'm going to look like I'm a loser, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you can go prepared, you know, physically as well, physically yeah. and mentally. Yeah. Um, exactly as you would if you were doing a marathon or some other big challenge, you know. Yeah. So, um, but no, thank you for. Uh, I think I think I've covered all the areas I want to talk about. So you know, I think maybe just if I was to just close off with a few key comments, you know, the the noble silence has a purpose. Yeah. And I think if we embrace it in the spirit that is intended we really benefit from it um i think the no killing no harming you know it gives us a sense of what it's like to live in a world where people just you know there's there's this live and let live thing which is beautiful um i think the the choiceless observation bit you know we can all do that in our everyday life and we'll probably see the world with a very fresh perspective um, the idea of impermanence and equanimity, you know, the ability to look at good events and bad events the same, 
Yeah. But without becoming detached and becoming some some robotic, you know, because that's no fun. That's not what life is about. You know, enjoy yeah. a good moment, but just don't expect to be there all the time. Yeah. You know, yeah. be sad if something sad happens. You don't have to bottle it up. Yeah. But know that it will not last. I think that was key. And finally, you know, being peaceful is not being passive. Um, that you know, I think it's all about really. Um, understanding your own truth and and finding a way to live in this world that is good not just for you but for the other people who you live with so yeah. those were my key messages good 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 thank you so I, think, I, I think it's a good thing you did this within two weeks of coming where things are still fresh and it's allowed you enough time to reflect on it uh, yeah yeah good so thanks so much for leading this conversation and i hope it hasn't been too long it's been quite long quite long but i might edit it down and yeah. only keep the, yeah. <laughs> the really helpful bits yeah 